There we go. Well, good morning. My name is Nathan Dix. Uh, I am a campus minister with RUF, our denomination's campus ministry. Um, Reformed University Fellowship is what that stands for. And uh, filling in for Clyde Godwin, our uh, interim pastor, is away this weekend uh, at a ministry event. Uh, I feel like it's important to point out that uh, I am not a pastor that's on staff with this church as an application of this passage. I'm going to encourage you all several times to pray for pastors. Uh, Latin for shepherd is pastor. So um, I am not uh, trying to be self-serving with that, but I am imploring you to pray for your pastors, pray for your shepherds. Um, So we're taking a break from the series on the Beatitudes, and we're reflecting on this passage in John 10. And this is one of, you know, a series of teachings that comes after a miracle. And the miracle that had happened uh, was that a man who had been born blind was given sight by Jesus. And this man uh, doesn't just go away and, um, and you know, enjoy his, his seeing ability that he now had, but he believes in Jesus as the Messiah, as the Son of God. And this really riles up the Jewish leaders of the day, and they become very, very angry. Um, but all throughout, this kind of theme of seeing and not seeing, whether literally or um, uh, symbolically, of seeing Jesus for who He is, is throughout the Gospel of John. And I just want to stop and pray that we would be able to see Jesus for who He is through this passage. And we need His help in that. So let me pray for us. Lord, help us not to be like the blind who do not see, but help us to see. Give us sight that we may see You for who You are, the Good Shepherd. We pray that You would do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I have a simple outline. It's basically two points. The good news, I'm sorry, the bad news, and then the good news. We're going to talk about the sheep and the shepherds, which there's a lot of bad news about sheep, a a lot of bad news about shepherds. And then there's a lot of good news to know that Jesus is the good shepherd of the sheep. So, um, yeah, I, I agree with, with Andrea. I don't think many of us have a lot of firsthand experience with sheep, maybe kids more than anyone because of petting zoos and whatnot. Uh, the wild animals we see uh, going throughout Cambridge are usually turkeys this time of year, right? Wild turkeys in Harvard Square. Sometimes they come over uh, to BU. Um, so this sheep-shepherd dynamic, this metaphor that's used throughout Uh, Scripture, actually, but especially here in John, it's important for us to understand that as it would have been understood in that time and place in which Jesus was talking. So it's common throughout the Old and New Testaments uh, to refer to God as a shepherd and His people as sheep, but this wasn't unique to the Jewish people. This was a common metaphor. Uh, Ancient Near Eastern kings referred to their subjects as their sheep. Um, If you were to see uh, a a picture pop up on Facebook of Joe Biden depicted as a shepherd and all of his people, his constituents depicted as sheep, I think you would just pass over it as some sort of silly fan art. That wasn't the case 
In Assyrian times, there was art that depicted the king of Assyria as a shepherd and this benevolent shepherd who cared for and provided for his sheep. Um, But it wasn't just for kings, it was also for gods. The Egyptian god Ammon was depicted as a shepherd, and the people were depicted as sheep. So it has this uh, regal imagery, but also this divine imagery. And it's also just such a helpful metaphor because it was so much a part of their economy in that day. There were sheep everywhere, I imagine, and it was a big part of what they ate, what they drank, what they wore, and how they made money, right? It had to depend on sheep. Now, I am not a farmer. I don't know much about sheep, but I do know that they are domesticated, which means they are dependent on shepherds. They need shepherds to lead them to pasture. They need shepherds to protect them from wild animals. They are vulnerable. Now, what does this have to do with us? Well, to be human is also to be dependent and to be vulnerable. It's baked into our creatureliness because God created us and we didn't create ourselves Therefore, by nature, we are dependent on him for our life. It also means that we are vulnerable. We, too, are in danger of losing our lives. We, too, uh, can be led astray. We, too, uh, need a shepherd. So God provided for his people under shepherds. These shepherds who would protect them. Um, In the time of Israel, they were called uh, the shepherds. Today, we call them pastors. Pastor is Latin for shepherd, as I said. Um, They oversee their flock, but what do they do? They don't lead to pastor. They lead to the Word of God, the source of life for our souls, right? This is what a pastor is therefore they, they lead them in the sacraments to so the bread and the wine of the Lord's Supper, etc. But they're also to protect from false doctrine. Uh, they are to protect from, from evil, uh, threatening the purity and the peace of the church. Well, what happens when pastors fail to do this? Well, the sheep, the people, the congregation is endangered. Uh, their faith may be in danger of being, being lost. The very least, they are scattered. They are confused. They're without protection or without guidance. We're spending a lot of time in context because it's so important to really grasp the meaning of this passage. There's an Old Testament backdrop to this that's really important. I'm going to read from it. It's in Ezekiel 34. Feel free to turn to Ezekiel 34, verses 2 through 6. Ezekiel is a book of prophecy. It's one of the the odder ones um, in there, but there are some parts of it that speak so clearly with vivid imagery as opposed to um, confusing or mysterious imagery. But it is a prophecy about something that's to happen in the future. And it's really important to know that it occurs in the late 500s B.C. when Israel was in exile in Babylon. 
They were not in their homeland. They were not in their home country. And a large part of the reason for why they're there, why they had been defeated by the Babylonians and why they're in exile in Babylon is because the shepherds of Israel had failed to do what they're supposed to do. So God speaks through the prophet Ezekiel and he says this, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. When Jesus speaks in terms of sheep and shepherds, to the Jewish leaders, he is recalling this prophecy. The message was clear that just in Ezekiel's day, the shepherds had failed in their duties, that in Jesus' day, the shepherds had failed in their duties. They were disobedient to God. In John 10, there, there are several um, other ways that this, this sheep-shepherd metaphor is applied, they talk about the hired hands, the, the wolves, the thieves, the robbers. What Jesus is saying, in essence, is that the leaders, the shepherds of Israel, have become like thieves and like robbers or wolves or strangers. They have become anything but true shepherds of God. The protectors had become predators. And things are completely different today, right? I wish we could say that. No. We could be here for a while thinking of stories of pastors who have failed. This is surely to make the headlines of uh, Christianity Today or whatnot. It happens in big churches and high-profile uh, leaders of Christian institutions, but it also happens in small churches it also happens um, in no-name places. It happens without, outside our denomination and within our denomination. The failures of shepherds over their flock. And the sinister nature of this kind of abuse, which is alive and well today as it was back in Babylon, and in Palestine is that it's under the auspices of service to God. It's a spiritual leadership. It's a spiritual responsibility over the souls of the people. And often this uh, sin in the leadership endures because uh, people are afraid of endangering the larger mission, endangering the mission of God, jeopardizing the entire church or threatening the success of a certain 
gifted minister or his ministry. Therefore, people are afraid. The vulnerable sheep are afraid to speak up. Diane Langberg, a Christian psychologist who for many, many years has worked with pastors and congregants in churches where there's been spiritual abuse, she says this, No so-called Christian system is truly God's work unless it fleshes out his character. Toleration of sin, pretense, and crookedness do not reveal the character of God, even if they bear his name. Arrogance is never godly. Covering up sin is never godly. Abuse of power is never godly. Shepherds who feed on sheep are abusive. Leadership that preserves and protects the system rather than the people turns the house of God into a safe place for predators. Those who come to feed on God himself find themselves being the main course instead. This is heavy stuff. (laughs) How many institutions have been preserved at the cost of lives? How many leaders' reputations have been protected at the expense of souls? How many churches have been planted while people are used? As a pastor myself, these truths are incredibly uh, convicting, incredibly um, big warning for a, a young pastor who aspires to be a pastor of a church one day. I I must admit that as a millennial pastor, I've fallen uh, prey to the temptation to care so much about what my Instagram account says about my ministry and its health and its success, right? Caring more about the number of faces that are in a photo in order to impress my friends, my peers, my donors than I do about the souls. This temptation to feed on sheep, it's everywhere. It's everywhere for leaders, for pastors. Lord, have mercy. This is why, as I said I was going to do, pray for your pastors. Pray for leaders of Christian organizations around the world. Pray that they would shepherd and not feed on their sheep. They are vulnerable and susceptible to temptation to a great extent. Pray that they would not become predators. Some people in seeing this kind of corruption or abuse in a church might leave. And unfortunately, the problem of corruption among leadership is universal. It's everywhere, right? Whether it's in government, whether it's in corporations or in the home, And it's universal because the problem of sin is universal. For all have sinned and gone astray and fallen short of the glory of God, including pastors, including leadership. So how can the church, how can can I stand here and say anything new? How can the church have anything different to offer? What new thing can Scripture teach us about the ancient problem of sinful shepherds? 
In John 10, verse 14, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. In Ezekiel 34, the prophecy continues and says that in light of the failures of the shepherds of Israel, here is what God will do. He says, I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. And he goes on later in verses 30 and 31. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God with them, and that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord God. And you are my sheep, human sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the Lord. And Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. It's an astonishing fact. I know I'm, I'm a bit early on this to bring up the Christmas story, and I know Clyde loves, loves Christmas. But in Luke 2, it's an astonishing fact that the first big announcement about the birth of Jesus was to no one else but shepherds. Luke 2, 8 through 13 Shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, who once was a young shepherd, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there is with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is good news for shepherds. To shepherds in a field News of the Good Shepherd in the city of David, no less, was given. And in Jerusalem, in the presence of the shepherds of Israel, Jesus of Nazareth, that man who had been the baby in the manger, whose first visitors smelled like sheep, he claims this, I am the Good Shepherd. And in doing so, in stating that, he is claiming to fulfill the prophecy of Ezekiel that God would put a shepherd in place like David and he would reign in peace and he would protect the sheep of Israel, the human people of God. He, he signs and seals this with the force of this statement, I am the good shepherd. The I am statements of Jesus and John are a great study. We're doing that in, uh, at BU uh, with our students. But there's great significance here uh, because in Hebrew, Yahweh could also be seen as saying, I am. In fact, in the Greek uh, translations of the Old Testament, it's translated, I am in, in the same Greek is here. I am the good shepherd. I don't mean to confuse you with Greek and Hebrew. 
Jesus is saying, I am one with God Himself, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. No wonder the leaders were angry. This was tantamount to blasphemy. But if these statements revealing Jesus' divinity weren't astounding enough, there's more. There's more. The prophecy of Ezekiel he had fulfilled. He's referring to that, but he's also prophesying something about himself that's going to happen in the future. In verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And in verses 14 and 15, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. The good shepherd doesn't feed on his sheep. He lays down his life for them. He doesn't use or abuse their bodies. He lays down his own body for their sake. He doesn't crush lives. He is crushed for our sin, for our iniquities. Now, King David, as a young boy, before he was anointed to be king over Israel, he was a shepherd in the field. And I was reading this morning, uh, when he comes to King Saul and tries to give his credentials as to why he could defeat the giant Goliath, This is what he says. He says, when bears or lions have come to my flock of sheep and they take one of my little lambs and run away with them, I run after that lion and I kill the lion and take the lamb safely out of its jaws. And sure enough, he does this heroic act of slaying Goliath. And we could say here, okay, if this is the end of the story, Jesus is going to lay down his life, that maybe this is just this tragic, symbolic act of heroism that Christians are to merely memorialize. That couldn't be further from the truth. No, this is a divine act, and it's in two parts. His death is only part of it. Verse 17 reveals this. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. So Jesus, in anticipating the cross and knowing that the cross is where his death is going to occur, he is not doing that passively, but he's doing it willingly. He's doing it actively. He's making those steps towards Jerusalem in order to give up his life and in order by his own power as one with God, take it up again. Verse 18, he wants to make this very clear because he reiterates that no one takes it from me, meaning his life, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I've received authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So friends, Jesus can lay down his life and he can take it up again because he is the Son of God. 
the author of all life, the creator, the one who has power over life and death. This is why Paul can say in 1 Corinthians, oh, death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? No king, no pastor, no father, no mother, no executive, no government official, no leader of any type can claim that kind of power. Only our triune God, seen in the face of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the great shepherd of the sheep, can lay down his life and take it up again. Why did he do this? To rescue his little lambs. And so how do we live in light of this good news? Well, there are implications for everyone, for sheep and for shepherds. For sheep, I think it's incumbent upon us to not idolize leaders. Uh, No human pastor, no matter how gifted or charismatic, can save you or be the panacea to any church's problems. We must look to the good shepherd. We must look to Christ. Pray for your pastors, encourage them. This is so important. If you want to know the struggles of a pastor, go to their wife. Ask them to tell you candidly. What does he struggle with? And you will know how to pray a lot better after that. Pray for them, encourage them. Do not look to them to be Jesus, but as much as you can, point them to Jesus, for that is their job, to point others to the good shepherd of the sheep. And hear this if you are a pastor, if you are an elder, there is a good shepherd. This is good news for those who are shepherds. You are one of his sheep. Do not feed on the sheep, but lead them to the shepherd, Jesus. For everyone, the Lord is our shepherd. We shall not want. He will make us lie down in green pastures. He will lead us beside still waters. And surely goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives, and we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Lord, we thank you so much that you have sent your good shepherd. That this church, Christ the King, is led by the good shepherd and always has been and always will be. Lord, protect us, feed us, give us life according to your promise. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.